It's August 23rd, 2022, and I'm gonna go right around Graceland. And I left my fucking water bottle up there. Alright, man.
bikes out today. Here we are. Graceland Cemetery. One of my favorite places in Chicago. Favorite places to get to without any real effort, at least. <laughs> Speaking of places, there's a McCormick. Somebody named Scranton, who knows? this place because it is like the opposite of the most of the time very helpful Chicago grid of streets. It's incredibly meandery, if that's a word. It affords one many opportunities to meander through find their own way and streets have signs so technically you could like learn the route but I find that the far easier way to find your way around is just to note specific gravestones or mausoleums and then just use that to orient yourself which is like I don't know, it feels, it scratches the part of my brain that uh, just kind of needs to, in real time, decide on a route rather than have a destination. I think it's a thing that I picked up on in cross country specifically. Not so much that like I was just running aimlessly in cross country, but kind of realizing that once you kind of know the gist of a course, learning to trust yourself to kind of navigate through it, which in Kentucky meant a lot of crashing down hills. Occasionally, hills in the middle of a forest trail that's got roots and rocks and little hazards and obviously other people. <clears throat> if you're in a pack, and I don't know, I just uh, it makes me think about that, and it makes me think about in seventh grade when I realized. 
that I could kind of use sort of like a reverse um, <laughs> reverse usual suspects. I could look around a room like this is seventh grade world civ class, Mr. Caudell. We for world civilizations where we had like a, some arts and humanities elements and there was a quiz we had to do where we had to remember the names of a bunch of uh, bunch of famous classical songs. And I couldn't tell you what they are because the only way that I learned them, because we were would listen to them together in class as a as a means of they didn't have the the ability to just send us home with and this is like maybe they could have burnt us a CD, but not everybody would have would have used it or been able to. Maybe. I don't know. Definitely not sending a zip file of things. There's, oh, there's Pullman. That asshole. Speaking of assholes, let's go see Pinkerton. Anyway, we would uh, listen to the tracks for this quiz in class, and I sort of internalized this thing of looking around the room and associating like different, it was a you know, middle school classroom, so there was like stuff on the walls, like educational stuff, posters and uh, whatnot that were related to seventh grade world civilizations. And I basically just would listen to a song and fixate on a specific poster on the wall. They didn't have to be related in any way, but would like kind of, we'll talk about like, people with memory tricks do like a memory palace where they visualize a place that they can walk through and store memories. And I feel like I did kind of a version of that, but it was like specific to that place. It was a real place, not a imagined one. And I just, you know, oh, the one with the horns. That's when I look at this. What's that one called? Looking at it would bring it forth. And I'd remember, um, obviously, as I'm speaking, it's pretty maybe evident that uh, I don't remember it outside of that room, but that didn't matter because that's where the quiz was going to be. And something about that and the idea of like being able to casually place a memory on a unrelated visual uh, taught me how to organize my thoughts, keep my, keep the pathways clear for what I needed them for in a way that I had really struggled with up to that point. And then once I started doing that more and more for Spanish vocab quizzes or when I wasn't cheating on Spanish vocab quizzes because that was a, that was a, a time in my life as well. Sorry, Senora Lopez. Um, just there is Mr. Pinkerton. Something about 
not having to when people when people ask you to recall something sometimes it feels like they're just handing you a snow shovel it feels to me like being handed a snow shovel and asked to like dig to whatever it is that they're bringing up I think it feels that way because organize my thoughts the way that makes sense to me and they're asking to have me access them the way it makes sense to them and it creates this like cognitive dissonance that makes me more con- more concerned with how or bring gets me to a place where I'm more concerned about how they see a thing and how I see it or how I stored it. There's the Getty Tomb, National Landmark, or Chicago Historic Landmark, I guess is the actual deal. There's a camera crew. Interesting. Hopping day for Graceland. I guess it is summer. Google, interesting. Clerg Celtic Cross. Good to didn't want to interrupt your shot. That's all right. 
guess the point I'm trying to make I guess the point I'm trying to make is that uh, just because things might seem disparately very unassociated doesn't uh, doesn't keep me from carrying them around in the same pocket. I think that's what gets me stuck or makes the idea of Tesla will not save us as a project really sticky for me is uh, this idea of the first episode being mostly about me with a 2006 video iPod. guess was what 16 years ago that I got it so it's old for an iPod and I think that that's this like big in a lot of people's minds this like bubble bursting notion that like of course an iPod's not meant to stick around that long. And I... I think for as much as it's a valid assertion, and there's some old folksiness to the idea that like, oh, my grandfather's fridge worked for 50 years, and now I gotta replace it with a new one. It's like, I think that's part of the point. Is that we kind of just have grown to accept that there is a disposability to these things, even when they're especially, honestly, when they're built around new technology because there's a, there's a sense that this iPod is only, is only worth keeping around as long as it's the new thing. And the truth is, Just a parking lot.
truth is, I think that notion should scare us when it comes to the sales pitch and the the expectations around when something like a Tesla sneaks into an existing mature market. I think there's a lot to be said for the ways Tesla is able to do kind of two very disparate things. One is be the iPod, that uh, quote-unquote revolutionary technology that is so good at what it promises to do and delivers on that promise while, while also relying on a lot of assumptions and assertions about how permanent that solution is. Because like, you know, Steve Jobs, I don't believe, makes any mention in the various updates to the iPod of the fact that there's a there's little to no chance anyone you meet is going to have a charging cable for it in 14 years. That doesn't necessarily mean you know, we shouldn't have had iPods. But when that technique of being the hot new revolutionary technology is used to sell a product that is as integral to American society for train. I just think that where we're getting caught is that we've worn down this assumption in our heads over the last, I mean, it's been more than 16 years. Uh, I'd have to look up when the very first iPod came out, but it's certainly probably closer to like 25 or something since the old one with the click wheel and the four buttons across the top was a thing. And at the time, it was one of several MP3 player solutions. It was, this is a, this is the time when I get to acknowledge my privilege and my perspective on this product, which is that my iPod in 2006 was my third MP3 player.
I think my first one was called something like I River. I don't think I have it anymore. Mm, that might have been, I can't remember. I had two. I had one that was like shaped, it was way smaller than an iPod because at one point that was the, <laughs> that was the only thing that mattered. Uh, it had a shittier screen, but it, like, yes, yeah, so it was smaller. Had a little joystick controller for its one button. And it had some other buttons, but it, like, it had the main menu interface was all controlled by this little joystick doodad. That was, like, to the right of the screen, and then there was, like, a probably a play and pause button separate. But like that little joystick was how you skipped to next tracks or maybe just fast forwarded. Probably both depending on how you interacted with it. And like this was two thousand Espert, Raffington, A.G. Cox. Lots of, lots of names that either sound familiar or sound like they should sound familiar. J.K. Stewart, there you go. Um, Farney, F-A-H-R-N-E-Y. I remember with my first MP3 player, capacity was probably less than a gig. It was very like, what are the songs you want on this right now? And you had to take a CD and you had to import it, not into iTunes, but through a like Windows, Windows file ripper and then drag it onto the USB drive, basically, that had a headphone jack and buttons. But, uh, yeah, you know, like, most of the things that we think of as being what an iPod could do existed in a bunch of bodies. Because my after my iRiver or whatever, that dinky MP3 player uh, with its 512 megabytes, which I didn't realize was gonna be like a standard number I would just have in my brain along with 128, 256 megabytes. Um, which I believe is the only of my MP3 players until, well, until the iPod Touch. Because <laughs> I'm such a spoiled brat. Um, until the iPod Touch came out, I think the, the only MPC player I had was a recorder, which, I don't know if you know this about me, is something that I find interesting and useful, recording stuff. He says as he wears a 
one of his 15 audio devices that record sound as he rides his bike around mumbling to himself. <laughs> mumbling to an audience I have yet to determine is how I choose to think about it. Uh, only mp3 player I had with a microphone that I could record, record voice notes was the first one I had. So that 512 megabyte iRiver, whatever it was called, got replaced by really can't remember the name but it was it was an interesting transition because it went from 512 megabytes to 20 gigs which is like at the time the equivalent of like going from like 10 cds or whatever depending on how shittily you ripped your uh Maybe a hundred CDs, who knows? Who knows what you could fit on 512 megabytes? Probably, I mean, pretty sure a CD's capacity technically as a data storage device was like, oh God, was it 70 or 700 megabytes for like a data disc on CD? <sighs> that I'd have to look up, but. But it was the equivalent of going from, hey, I've got the CDs I want for this week or this event or like you're, you're, it was the equivalent of having the CD bill in your car, like the 10 CDs on the visor that you would change out depending on what was, what was top of your list. It was the equivalent of going from that to like put at the time, everything I had. And it was the first device I ever encountered that uh, was so capable of like max storage compared to what had come before. That, uh, that it was like, it had a massive library added to it just like for free. It was all classical music, so it was like free to give, I guess, you know, fair use or whatever that is. But, um, but it sort of highlighted how different of a device it was. Like, twenty twenty gigs represented such a I mean it's like I went from half a gig to twenty gigs, like it's like a forty times increase.
and it was it filled with more free giving away music than the other one had available at all. And what was interesting is that it also was shaped significantly more like an iPod. It was squared. It had a play and a pause button with a vertical strip of a touch interface. So it wasn't the circle, because I'm sure that that was probably some kind of patented or protected thing, or just simply harder to machine in a way that was smooth and not janky. But it had a, a, a stretch that you, with a play pause button at the top and a essentially a thumb scroll equivalent to what you'd do, be doing on Instagram, thumbing and tapping. Reminds me of the MP3 player my uh, very good friend Daniel had when he was in high school, showing me his U2 collection of, of albums on his Dell brand MP3 player. Um, I just remember like talking with him about. Like his had like I think a little scroll wheel that you could click instead of the so it had the same controls essentially as uh, as the iPod, which didn't I mean it had an up and a down scroll. It didn't have like it had four directional buttons, but you only used the the circle in the center to like navigate play, pause, skip, back, forth, menu, were, were only for while you're playing something. So from a technology perspective, whatever my white looked like an iPod 20 gig was, was pretty equivalent. I'm pretty sure when I got it, iPods had roughly that same amount of storage. And the fact that it gave away music, even though, you know, just gave away space, it was showcasing how much space that was. You know, and that's 20 gigs, which would be an embarrassment. But that's because it was music exclusively. And at the time, that was the huge selling point. Look at how many albums you can stick on 20 gigs. I'm pretty sure 20 gigs is when the iPod really skyrocketed.
So I look at that narrative of the pre-iPod and the things that were utilities in the MP3 player music device landscape. And I look at how some of those same functions were ultimately what informed the development of the smartphone. Simple interface. Operate with your thumb shit. That uh, started with iPods and MP3 players. And then Apple slowly whittled down to what would have to argue, couldn't argue against their success. And even if you want to argue their quality, they, they provide a product that's straightforward for people to use without getting scared off or confused too often. And people like to not be scared or confused. They like it a lot. But it did that by mastering the convenience, the, the seamlessness of interaction. And I think if what you're looking at as the utility of a MP3 player, it's like origin point only 16 years later like there's the reason that the iPhone is called the iPhone is because of the iPod. That device is the notable er device for Apple in the pocket. And same corner without keeping an eye out for a coyote, but it's a different corner. about that utility of the mp3 player and how for me some of the most significant pieces of technology that were part of that i.e. being able to wander around and record for amounts of time that would make it so you don't have to think about it you can get lost find your way and I think about how every piece of that existed years before it was anywhere near 
my pocket, not because it wasn't possible, maybe because it wasn't, pro almost certainly because it wasn't profitable, but nonetheless, ultimately became central with the addition of video and audio input to a portable device that is what turned the iPhone into the heavy hitter of a communication tool that it is. And yet the path it took to get there was windy so as to shake out a profit from every minor upgrade. Because if you look at the iPod's trajectory for the longest time, it was essentially getting access to better screen technology and better compact storage technology. Two things that were breakthroughs that other people were utilizing, but by orienting themselves around the luxury end, they gave themselves margin by charging too much instead of by like refining for profit in other ways. Like sourcing cheaper LCD screens, smaller ones, smaller batteries, shittier machine work on the, the pieces your thumb touches. And so even though the technology that was actually driving user growth was the rising tide of cheaper, tiny storage devices that we've seen in every device as be central to their success. And the awareness that making things as smooth and simple and that creating that feeling of safety both in the it's worth your money to purchase this expensive thing and it's worth your time to use it because it's it's just so easy it just works and it just works is the like non-technical uh, buzzword that means you're striking gold in technology. And that's great for people who want to machine little things and add a layer to people's tech techno pile with an iPad or a, a Kindle or, you know, these innovations that are pretty pretty cool and pretty like accessible make people like become advocates for them because it's like yeah a Kindle's so cheap and so easy to use because Amazon found ways of making profit by not profiting off of devices or you're just the premium and you advertise around the premium and you become the iPhone of the new technology. The, uh, I think about the like Nest 
nestothermostat, which just like showed up in a category that had had technology forever and proceeded to dominate it in it because it was glossy and had apple-y edges to it. Looked like a iPhone had been turned into a knob. And, you know, it's the same tactic that got my parents to buy that uh, iPhone knockoff, or iPod knockoff with the vertical touch thing. So that it's simulating what you expect to see. And by that, I mean what you expect to see like in the device as much as in the in the actual technology like the shape and value of it is it's like a watch or a piece of jewelry like maybe there's some function but there's also a lot of uh, you know signaling about like yeah I I take care of my kids. They've got, look at them all with their iPods. I love them all so much. Uh, or in the case of a knockoff, you know, their target was something along the lines of, if you buy this one, it's way cheaper. And from a distance, people will think it's an iPod. And we've seen that People like big square screens, and they uh, they love a, a thumb touch thing. And so this way, some people who like their iPods might switch to us. And it's like that technological version of like chasing. people are registering the the popularity and value people put in the particulars of having this one device and instead of leaning into something that distinguishes them they lean into the things that make it easy to like to get cross adoption or whatever I'm sure there's some fucking technical term for it but to me, it just seems like this cycle that leads us towards sameness, like, encourages us to be users of nearly identical things just simply because that way they can introduce you to the newer bits of the technology at a rate that trusts that you're going to understand it. Which again, if you're adding to the pile of people's things, here's Fullerton, uh, would make sense. Like, an iPhone isn't replacing something, it's introducing you to something. Which is ultimately what I'm getting at when I talk about how Tesla utilizing the becoming the iPod 
of EVs is a fancy way of miscategorizing what is ultimately a, a, a tool, on one level, a tool that's trying to mimic its predecessor in order to encourage adoption. In this case, Tesla pretending to be a car by being shaped like one and treating it, you know, it's, it is a car, but it's also on some level pretending to be a replacement for something that is pitching you a whole new platform. And unlike a portable device like an iPod or an at-home device like a flat-screen TV, or Alexa or whatever. Trying to replace cars with a system that relies on new technology for charging, new technology for like for operating on some level it's trying to mimic this other thing so it's you know still, still acts pretty similar but like it's clearly to me it just feels clearly focused on the same kind of stuff that the iPod focused on creating convenience enough to make people do all the requisite parts, pay the premium, talk it up like it's the big new thing, show it off, and generate demand as if it's the future, not just a novelty. I think the problem with that is that I, when I got my iPod in 2006, it was at the point when I was at the point where I I don't know, I guess I just, I see the Tesla as being this tool designed for a specific moment of transition, but because cars are expensive investments that we like sink cash into and create this like sunk cost fallacy around where we, we obviously have to spend money to fuel them and insure them and maintain them and like Tesla makes a pitch around like, ooh, look at how much more streamlined all this stuff is without acknowledging that like maybe if we're, if the idea behind it is anything other than fun, flash and novelty. Pull for train.
If the idea is anything other than flash of novelty. Then we should be using the technology we currently have to assess what was wrong with the car on a more fundamental level. Because if we want to talk about a future where cars are something different than what they are, we need to talk about how they do a lot more than just spew slightly less fumes. Obviously Tesla doesn't spew them directly, but like generating the power to fill an EV is a significantly less carbon than a conventional vehicle, but still that's that's like it's saying you go from 450 some odd uh, carbon parts per million or whatever down to 250. But like, if the idea is that we're going to, like when you do that math, as if you could just swap it all, you're being caught by that iPod revolutionary tech speak. Because you're not gonna see that drop because the adoption rate for cars is significantly different. And the idea that a car that you buy in 2006 is like a foreign notion to anybody who might want to not just do maintenance on it, but charge it. The idea that we're letting a model that took us from that big, fat, wide iPhone cable down to the little lightning cable and took us from 160 gig spinning drive media players to terabyte touchscreen computer, like supercomputers with access to the entire world from your pocket. If that's the trajectory they're promising, then one of the two things is the case. Either the Tesla you're buying today will be a relic in a third of the lifetime that you would typically have to consider replacing a car. Because let's be honest, once you've got it on the road, if you maintain it, you could, have a, you could drive a car from the 90s, the 80s, the 70s. People do, people drive cars from the 20s. And they do so, other than, you know, specialty markets. Uh, maybe the 20s probably would be this way, but for a lot of them, they just go to the same gas stations and, and buy, like, swappable parts that are built and improved by like the same type of industry and manufacturer and trying to imagine sourcing parts for my 
video iPod today or any indication if Tesla improves on the like flow of technology scale that it claims that it is then the car you're buying is worthless by the time it gets to a point where it's significantly decreased the amount of carbon that you've released over the course of a lifetime and likewise you've got people who didn't want need a tesla because they just bought a new car who if they buy a gas vehicle are inherently invested in a system that is not going to ask them to get a new car i bought a 2013 mazda 3 2012 mazda 3 in 2013 and i'm not having any trouble keeping it going and i own one of the newer cars in the group of friends that i have i think or at least at one point i did um i think it's completely feasible to think that 2006 toyota corolla is still on the road. I just think about these places like I'm going down a residential street in Chicago right now I left Graceland oh, there's an EV or a Tesla oh wait that might have been a Ford who knows yeah you see they Look the fucking same. I just don't see the thing that's causing trouble to this area being solved by replacing a car with a car. Especially one that you have to plug in when currently every car that I see is uh, parked on the street.
just think about the idea that we're going to continue to move ourselves the same attitudes, the same conveniences, the same interfaces and expect to drastically reduce energy use. An EV is a band-aid, not, not a replacement that solves much of any problem. I just think if uh, there's a solution that brings people joy, that's great. If there's one that brings people joy without acquiring the entirety of a car infrastructure to maintain it and solve the basic problems of getting around, I think that technology exists much more in compressing the number of vehicles on the road, car with gas or otherwise. I think the replacement of five cars with five people or 10 people on a bus sitting in those five cars is a ratio that far exceeds the trade-off of those five cars going from gas to
How's it going? Anyway, this has been me cycling around a graveyard talking about how Tesla won't save us from climate change um, in the only way I know how, which is to dive into immense detail about the history of MP3 player technology and how that model seems to be haunting us in ways that uh, might actually have an impact beyond what we put in our pockets and how long that battery lasts and uh, might be putting as much trash into the environment by virtue of a short life cycle to get you the newest bell and or whistle that uh, that one would would want out of their fancy car of the future. Um, and in the process, churn through a lot of cars of the future between them losing the novelty and losing their utility as the bits of the technology that are not yet worked out, like battery life, loss over time continue to uh to present themselves and to be solved with like okay well we'll put this n slightly newer bigger battery and we'll get you more charging stations that to me feels like the inevitable place as as the teslas of this year turn into the teslas of tw 10 or 8 or 6 years ago and people are trying to avoid spending more money on another one 
and instead just have to charge it more um, where the first two to five years that they had it, they didn't really have to think about charging it maybe because they just plugged it in at night. Um, but then that same trip gets uh, to the point where it's no longer in the capacity of the vehicle or it just burns through it at a higher rate or traffic patterns change and now you're you're sitting and you're idling more um which probably burns less but like then when you um when you have to like detour more and you're you're dealing with a slightly different expenditure of energy along the lines uh, uh <clears throat> along with the loss of battery capacity <sighs> to me that's like a possible and pretty inevitable part of it that doesn't disqualify EVs on that principle alone because I do understand that most people are not driving 300 miles a day um, and that like to do so is kind of an extreme thing but I still think that because Tesla knows that and is moving in that direction with the technology that they have been able to develop and like and or you know things obviously there's lots of technology that tesla didn't invent most of it is available in other evs that nonetheless like tesla's putting that effort in to be the ipod to be the peloton to be the the cream of the crop premium status level product in a thing that also gives people this like oh look at me i'm i'm good for the environment when you're marginally better than a gas-powered vehicle you're barely any better than a hybrid with current technology. The only claims for a clean, truly cleaner future come from energy technologies that have yet to be implemented that are expected by 2035 or something. It's that kind of far off down the line infrastructure changes that are still going to only take you from 220 carbon parts per million or whatever the actual stats are. I know it's somewhere, it's a 220 of some kind down to a 150. That's the current target is going from 450 carbon part, 600 to 450, depending on your gas powered vehicle emissions down to 150 carbon parts per million from the energy generated to plug into your Tesla or other vehicle, your EV. And it just feels like such a long circuitous route to get around to the fact that if you just take two cars off the road and don't replace them with a car, you are doing twice as, you are doing as much as owning a Tesla can do for you. And I, I think that the, there's a lot of cool, worthwhile technology, including smartphones and personal access to the internet that with a little bit of car deprogramming, a lot of trips can be done without getting in a four-wheeled box of any kind. Or at least a four-wheeled box by yourself or that you personally own and maintain and charge and or fuel.
And even in a world where Tesla generated absolutely zero emissions, like it was, it was just, the, they, they build a solar capable roof that can even in cloudy days recharge itself in 15 seconds or whatever. Like, and it's just like, oh, well, we never have to stop. Like even in that Jetsons-y future, the world you're describing is one where people are in personal vehicles on the ground creating space that is a no-go zone for humans. Roads are a place where you're not supposed to go. And that is a, like, a, like a simple and obvious statement to make in 2022, but it's one that as Americans, we normalize way too much. And that like, yes, of course you shouldn't, like there, we need to move things quickly in lots of different cases. And like, we can't just get away with not having vehicles. But the idea that every road has to be for every vehicle and that we create these like toxic little troughs to like between things that separate us and require the people who aren't emitting anything to, uh, to stand on the side of a, a street that is warmer because of the width and, uh, thermal mass of the concrete that is like absorbing that sunlight and releasing it into <laughs> and just holding on to it and raising the temperature and doing all the all the shit that is still environmentally impactful even if we get rid of the emissions aspect of cars <sighs> whereas human powered movement being at least a viable option for more people does as much to reduce those emissions while also creating space that feels more habitable and can can be a little bit less large thoroughfare trough thing because you're asking people to move at human speed like if pedestrians and like slow bike lanes exist alongside like bike thoroughfares and and cars and in truth like show me any moment where bike traffic other than maybe like a, a true like thir like Amsterdam downtown where bike traffic looks the same as car traffic it can take so it takes so many bikes to create the kind of perpetual cluster and even then, there's people that you can look at and like, yes, there are assholes in every form of transit, um, but there is a lot to be said for the, the mobility advantages of creating places, ways for people to move quickly on a bicycle, to move freely and safely on foot. And it's mostly just about creating the space like it doesn't doesn't require anywhere near as much technological investment as replacing an energy source with a different energy source in order to maintain the illusion that this is the most efficient way to do things when it's in fact just the most convenient way for everybody to do a thing without having to cross paths with anybody directly <laughs> um, to float from a room in your house to a platform outside of a store 
is very Jetsons-y logic. And in a world where we had little uh, planes and could all like do so by drawing straight lines and never hitting each other, like I guess maybe that would make a whole lot of sense. But we are dragging our asses across the ground with big fat rubber tires and and speeds that will destroy a human skeleton if they interacted with uh, a person at all. And while I get that sensors are cool, and man, one day these robots will be able to hit, hit stop without any human ever having to pay attention, blah, blah, blah. It's just so much easier to see a world where by making pedestrian life a capability for people and making non-emitting and people-powered transit a part of the equation, you, you just, you, you make the earth and the people on it a lot happier along with emitting less fuel. And I think being myopic about the carbon offset of EVs is a dangerous marketing ploy as much as it is a fact of, yes, we have the technology. We shouldn't be creating gas fires in every motor vehicle and everything that moves everybody around. But if we build status around shifting from one mode of transit to another without it changing your lifestyle at all, then we encourage people not to consider systems that might actually benefit us all individually and collectively on a much higher level than just fumes. <laughs>